Well, good morning. Good to see all your smiley faces this early in the morning. It's good. Only in Saskatchewan would we uh, say, wow, what a beautiful winter day. It's finally warmed up to minus 15. Hey, but it is good to be together and embarking on this new adventure of of two services. Uh, We're going to be in Ephesians, as you see on the sign behind us and the PowerPoint slide, so I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be starting there. We're going to be talking about identity today uh, from Ephesians uh, chapter 1. The book of Ephesians is one of the most influential documents that has probably ever been written. Uh, One commentator says, pound for pound, Ephesians is probably the most influential document ever written. If you think of the Bible as the most influential book in the world, which it is in terms of uh, sales and and impact and so on, and uh, other books like Psalms and uh, Romans and the Gospels of Gospel of John may have Uh, more impact, but they're also much longer. So if you look at just a few short pages of Ephesians and what it teaches, uh, it's just really powerful in terms of the content and the impact on on the Christian church. So we want to begin this year in 2018, our first sermon series of of being Ephesians and looking at the mystery of the church. Ephesians speaks uh, to both us as individuals and also speaks to us corporately. And we'll be talking about that throughout this series and oftentimes we, we think more individually, and, I wanna, and I'm going to be challenging us to think probably more corporately uh, than we often do as we read Scripture texts. And, and so this text so powerfully speaks about the mystery of the church, and the calling of the church, and the power of the church, and the identity of the church, which is some of what we'll, we'll see today. So I want to just read uh, Ephesians 1, uh, 1 to 14 to start with. And what I want you to listen to to begin with is just listen to what God has done and listen to the character of God. Okay, so look for those things as we read through these first 14 verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will, in order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Commentators mention that so much of that is actually one sentence of praise, of just a doxology, this 
praise towards God and who He is and what He has done. Isn't that incredible, though, in that one half of a chapter, how it talks about our identity, God's identity, how God chose you before the creation of the world, how He has made you holy and blameless, that you have been marked with the seal by His Holy Spirit. That God has initiated, God pursued you, God adopted you because of His extravagant extravagant love for you. So a question for you is, do you know this identity that God has for you? You know, so often we begin the new year with resolutions of things that we want to change, things that we want to do differently. Maybe many of you have done that. It's an appropriate thing to do. Sometimes it's even a helpful thing to do. But while this has a place, I think more important than having clarity and commitment around what it is that you will do this year, I would encourage you to push for clarity and commitment to understand who you are this year. What's your identity? How do you think about yourselves? How do you think about who God is? How do we discover this? And what is it that identifies us? I mean, one of the first things that you think about, obviously, is you think about your name. Your name identifies you. It's the simplest, uh, one of the simplest ways that identifies you. Your parents uh, named you. Some of you like your name. Some of you maybe don't like your name. Some of you aren't quite so sure. Um, Or if you're like my brother, he has multiple nicknames, and that's confusing as well, too. But your name is your primary identifier. And some names actually become to mean something far more than just identifying the person that they are naming. They become synonymous with a product or a cultural movement, uh, and they start to begin to mean something so much more than actually just that person is. Think of Ford, right? When you say the name Ford or the word Ford, I mean, you don't think of Henry Ford. I don't think most of us think of that. You think of a whole kind of cultural entity of a, a car company and a whole number of things that people, some, it's for some of you it's good and for some it's bad. Uh, Eddie Bauer, there's a name. Think of Ralph Lauren. I mean, these are names that are means something so much more than just the person or the individual, right? Then there's Lululemon, you know, the grandson of Meadowlark Lemon. Yeah, some of you caught that. That's not true. Then there's the German engineer that you've probably never really heard of, but you know him because his name is Rudolf Diesel. Guess what he invented? A type of engine in the 1800s. And so, or actually in uh, 1897, I should say. Then there's John Landis Mason. Guess what he invented? Okay, a jar known as a wide-mouth mason, not the band. Okay? So names, for some people, they come to mean something. And even as I was thinking about this, I thought, okay, so what is it that people would associate with my name or associate with your name? What's sort of the bigger picture And what would be some of the adjectives and attributes that would get thrown in with that name? It's a good thing for us to think about. So names identify us in a simple way, but then we ask the question, what is it that shapes our identity? I think for a lot of people, it's a pursuit that they have for their whole lives. Some people are plagued by this. Some people struggle with this. Other people, it's a non-issue. They don't actually think about it a whole lot at all. But oftentimes we we do have to explore and think about what is it that has shaped me today? Why is it that I do the certain things that I do? How do I, and why do I respond the way I do in certain situations? Experiences of our past, our family of origin, 
relationships that have happened, things that have happened uh, to us in different ways, maybe choices that we have made and the consequences that we live with, and on and on. You know, over Christmas, I was watching a few episodes of this show called This Is Us that some of you are very familiar with. I see a few heads nodding. Uh, it's in its second season, hugely popular show, won, kind of, won all kinds of awards. It's well-written. It's great acting. Uh, I think, though, that one of the reasons why it's so popular is because it's all about identity. The whole show is about identity. It's about the, the Pearson family that is, is exploring the things that have shaped them, that have identified them later in life, their family of origin and their experiences, and it goes back and forth continuously. From the present day to the three main characters, the, these two brothers and a sister, and then it goes back to their childhood and explores their parents and their family of origin all the times, the, the actions that have shaped their identity, what motivates them today, the flaws that they have in their present day, they're wrestling with, why is it that I'm like this? Randall struggles with his identity as a black man who grew up in a white family. Kate struggles with her weight and identity issues related to that. Kevin struggles with the fact that it's all about him and he's self-centered and he's always needing attention. And so they go back continuously in this story and they look at their mother, Rebecca, and they look at their father, Jack, and they explore what is it that happened to us? What is it that shaped us? And their father, Jack, was this huge, impactful man that was an idol for all of them, but then he died way too soon when they're in their teens. And now they're processing what it is that shaped them because of that. I think a huge reason why that show is so popular is because it's about identity. And people can relate to that. Because people are wrestling with that themselves. They're exploring their own identity. They can think back to their own child and say, oh, maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of why I am the way I am. Maybe that's why I respond the way I do. Maybe that's why I chose the career path that I chose. Identity and understanding those things that have shaped our identity are important. But here's the thing. While we do need to go back into our past to understand those factors that have shaped us and formed us, we need to understand uh, in an adequate measure those things. And sometimes we need to forgive and repent and reconcile, and sometimes we need to create boundaries, whatever is needed. But together with those things, what ultimately sets us free and ultimately helps us understand our identity is knowing the one who created us. The one who gave us our identity. The one whose identity we emulate if we are followers of Jesus. And so we need to know who God is. We need to know God's character. We need to know what God has done and why he has done it. And this is the power of the gospel. That God is this ever-present God. That God was there in our past. That God is fully involved in our present. And he invites us to a new future. That God sees us. He understands us, he marks us, and he gives us a new identity, regardless of whatever we've come from, regardless of whatever we've been through. So Ephesians is about many things, but Ephesians starts with a focus on identity. But it reminds us powerfully that our identity is second. And I think that that's important for us to understand, that our identity actually isn't first and foremost. And oftentimes, we like to start there and we begin there about what is it that is my identity? But if we're a follower of Jesus, we need to start at a different place. And again, this idea that God is first 
and we are second. So primarily, we need to understand who God is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the gospel is, first of all, a revelation of God's nature, a revelation of God's character, a revelation of God's purpose in the world and what he has called us and invited us into. So we see, even in those few short verses that we read, that God is a God who blesses. Because he has blessed us, as it says, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 3. We see that God is a God who chooses. He chose us. He adopted us. Before the creation of the world. That God is a God who redeems. He made us holy and blameless. He takes the sin and mess of our lives and all of that stuff back there that we struggle with that can hold us back, and he redeems it. He forgives us. He makes it new again. And he makes us holy and blameless. And God is a God who marks us. He calls us his own. He he puts this stamp of identity on us in a way that is so powerful and that we so often underestimate. And he seals us with his Holy Spirit, the greatest gift that he has ever given us, and out of which and through whom all the other gifts come. And then God is a God who has an inheritance for us. We are heirs of a great inheritance. Do you know that? And it's there for us to embrace as adopted children of God. Apparently in that culture and and for the people who would have originally been reading this when they saw that language of adoption, they would have understood it in ways that would actually even be slightly different than us. Because in that culture, when somebody was adopted, an adopted child actually had more rights than a natural-born child to a family. Because of the vulnerability of that adopted child and what they had gone through, now those adopted children could not have any of their rights removed no matter what happened later on in life. And it was actually more entrenched than for a natural-born child. So here in this language of adoption, in this language of of being adopted into God's family, they would have understood it and read it in that way that you have been given incredible rights and privilege and inheritance. And this is who God is. This is what God has done. And because of that, this is us. We are blessed. We are chosen. We are redeemed. We are marked. We are a child of the King. This is your identity. So often we miss that. You know, the other aspect of our identity that I think is important for us to see in this text is that we can't just read and understand it in terms of individually. And I said that a little bit earlier on. And so often, again, we do read Scripture and we read it only on an individual basis. We might only think of it while of speaking only to me as an individual person. But as we know that Paul is writing to the churches here. He's writing to this collective body who would have been reading this corporately together and understanding it far more corporately than we would have read it and understood it as well. And so while it does apply to us individually, it applies to us even far more as a corporate letter to the church. The corporate people, the bride of Christ, and our corporate identity as a people of God. So as we read Ephesians and as we go through these chapters, you'll see that that Paul is writing to the Jewish people, he's writing to the Gentile people, these two distinct groups of people that came from their own cultural traditions, their own background, they had their own baggage, their own worldview. And now there's this wonderful mystery of how God is putting these two things together. And that's what Paul is declaring in this mysterious plan of the church. And he's saying, now we have this, I have this incredible privilege, Paul says, 
of declaring this truth to you as Gentiles that now you are joined together with these people of Israel. That you have been adopted. That you have been chosen as well. And it's this beautiful picture that we see Paul describing of what the church is now to look like. The mystery of the church and their new identity as a faith community. To form something that has never been experienced before. And Paul says, here's the mystery. Let me explain it to you. This was God's plan right from the beginning. In verse 12 and 13 in the New Living Translation, it says it this way. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you by his own, as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. And so we'll see throughout this letter as we go into these chapters together this wonderful text, this mysterious corporate plan of God that results in the church being formed for all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all ethnicities. It's this beautiful picture of the church. Chosen as a people for God's plan and purposes, marked with the identity of Christ. Now you also see in this text, as you read in Ephesians chapter 1, it's probably one of the most dominant texts that talks about adoption, election, predestination, uh, different translation use different words to that. Some think of that as kind of strange, unnecessary doc- doctrine, but really it's another way of speaking of God's grace and salvation, of how God is at work and God initiates to restore relationships with the Heavenly Father through Jesus. Because you see, election or this adoption is always relational. And again, I encourage you to think of it more corporately even than individually. Paul is primarily, even in this sense, speaking corporately. The election language in Ephesians is is not so much about us, but it's rather far more about who God is and what He has done, and that He initiates, and that He has chosen us, His people. And so our focus needs to be more on the cause of election, God, and the purpose of election, which is that Christians live holy and blameless lives before God. And I know sometimes in the church we have all these debates about this, how to understand this this mystery of election and, and the adoption that Paul speaks about here. But so many of those just need to be set aside because they're not helpful and they distract us from the primary purposes of election that I just spoke about. One commentator or one author and and commentator, John Stott, a well-known theologian, he he said this about election. He said, now everybody finds the doctrine of election difficult. But he says, Scripture nowhere dispels the mystery of election. And we should beware of any who try to systematize it too precisely or rigidly. I like that. So election, or this idea of adoption in that way, is an important concept to remind us that we are not in control. That God is not merely a wallflower to be chosen, but rather that God initiates. That God is a God who chooses. That God is a God who values you. And this is what shapes your identity and your outlook on life. Again, New Living Translation in verse 5, it says it this way. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. What an amazing truth about who God is. It speaks to God's character, God's desire, and what he invites us to in terms of our identity. Ephesians presents a union uh, in, in this gospel. It presents this union with Christ in more powerful ways than almost any other text. Paul, over and over again, he talks about being in Christ. And oftentimes we think about Christ being in us, which is true, and especially as you think about the Holy Spirit, 
And sometimes we'll, we'll talk about and even saying about accepting Jesus into our life at salvation and so on. Which is not necessarily an accurate statement, but it's actually a weaker statement than what Paul is saying. Paul is saying more often that we are in Christ, actually, even more so than he is in us. That we are to put ourselves in Christ over and over again. In fact, 36 times in this text alone, Paul says that language of in Christ. Of putting Christ at the front and center of our lives and submitting our lives to him, that he is the Lord of our lives over and over a far more a dominant theme for Paul throughout this text. And so from living in him and living with him, we learn to live for him. So our identity matters. And I want us to reflect this morning on what is it that has shaped us. It's important to think about those things. It's important to go back to our history when we work with young marrieds. When Lisa and I connect with young marrieds, one of the places that we often go early on is we talk about our family of origin. Because in a marriage relationship, oftentimes you respond in the very similar way that you saw modeled in the house that you grew up with. And so it's important to understand those things. And what we say to young marrieds is that there will be things that you need to choose to leave behind and there will be things that you need to choose to carry forward. We actually say the same thing to our children There will be things, kids, that you will need to choose to leave behind about our parenting and our relationships and the way we deal with things. And hopefully there will be some things that you will choose to carry forward. It's true for all of us. So we need to spend time there. We need to reflect on that. We need to think about where we've come from. We need to think about what it is that has shaped us. Some of us struggle with a really unhealthy identity. Maybe you've heard words or accusations or things that have come at you at different times in your growing up years or maybe now in your adult years, maybe it's in a workplace or whatever the case may be, that have subtly kind of chipped away at your self-worth and your image and your identity and they start to shape you. You're no good, you're lazy, you're useless, you're unworthy. These lies of the enemy that sometimes kind of are these arrows that stick more than we sometimes realize. Or maybe our identity has been shaped more by the things of this world and our pursuits of the things of this world than we recognize as well. And I've shared before that years ago, I remember my identity was so much about what it said on my business card. When I was in athletics and, and involved in coaching, that what it said on that card meant so much to me, and that was a big part of what shaped my identity. And how part of God's work in my life was a stripping away of that, of actually having to release that. And recognizing that that wasn't my primary identity in terms of what I did. But that my identity was found in whose I was. That was very many years of a painful process for me. It's one that probably never ends for any one of us. We probably process that in lots of different ways over the years. But we need to do that work of of asking God, what is it that has shaped us? What is it that we've experienced or that's been said to us that has shaped us? What is it that we pursue or that we worship that you need to reveal to us that we become like? Because the things that we worship are the things that we emulate. So we need to ask ourselves, what is it that are the things that we worship? What are the things that we actually maybe even unintentionally kind of pursue in our lives and they become more central to our lives than we would ever like to admit? 
Those things shape our identity. Which is why in this text, this is this incredible doxology, this incredible kind of run-on praise and worship and adoration of God because it's this Paul declaring to the church this incredible picture of who God is and what He has done because as we worship God, we become like Him. So that's why it's so important that as we gather in this corporate worship setting, we come together to worship Him corporately, we worship Him individually, and we praise His name. And it shapes us, and it marks us. And so as much as it's important that we go back and we understand who we are from those things that we've come from, I would say as we go into 2018, I want to encourage you more than anything else to start by understanding who God is and what He has done. Look to Him. Understand who He is. Dig into His Word. Spend time in praise and worship in ways that you haven't before. That we would understand our identity is in Christ. That He is the one that we put our trust in over and over. I want to invite the worship team up at this time. I want to conclude our time in prayer, but I I also want to read from Colossians chapter 1. And I don't have the words up on the screen, and that's intentionally because I want you to Actually, just close your eyes and listen to these words that I'm going to read for you. Many commentators make the comment that Colossians is like a parallel text to Ephesians. And, and you should actually read these together and almost read them in parallel ways and side by side because they address so many of the similar issues and help us in the, in the same topics and the same areas. And so I want to just read from Colossians 1, 15-23 about who Jesus is as part of our closing prayer. So would you just close your eyes? And listen to these words of the identity of Christ. Christ is the, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see. Just as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. And everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else and He holds all creation together. And Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is first in everything. For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. And he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this truth of who you are. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have taken the initiative, that you are the God who blesses, the God who chooses, the God who adopts us, the God who has marked us, the God who has sealed us, the God who has an inheritance for us. Lord, I pray that 2018 would be a year where we would see and claim that inheritance more than we ever have before. God, would we receive that identity And Lord, I pray that for us as individuals, for people who are struggling with their own identity in one way or another from things that they have experienced in their past or things that 
have marked them in some way that the enemy is using to twist and distort their own image. God, that you would break free those images for them. And God, that they would know and understand your grace and see their identity in Christ. And Lord, I also pray for us as a church that you would help us to see and understand the beautiful picture of the church throughout this text of Ephesians. That the church is this wonderful mystery, the bride of Christ. That you have called us to live in this identity as a chosen people. That you would help us to live in the identity as a chosen people of diverse people who are unified because of who you are and what you've called us to be. So Lord, I pray that 2018 would be a very unique year to explore, to embrace, and to press into the mystery of the church and our identity in you. So we give ourselves again to you and we give you thanks. And we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.